This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Episode number 52 of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. Welcome in, everybody. Hi. Hi. I am Tyler Mon in New York City. Samuel L. Dykstra is in uh, – did I just say I'm in New York City? You're in New York City. I am in New York City. I'm not in New York Unless City. Unless you, there's something you haven't told me, which would be very disappointing. I'm just not – I don't want to be around you. I'm just recording it from – I'm in a hotel in Midtown. Oh, great. Sure. <laughs> you, you enjoy me. I don't want to be around I Sam. Wanna, I, I don't even want to see you. <laughs> Um, I'm going to introduce you to Samuel L. Dykstra every week just to give us cachet with the, the Sam Jackson fans. Sure. Yeah. That, get that sweet, sweet podcast SEO. Which, get that, uh, <laughs> I don't know that, if it exists in audio snakes form. on a plane target market. Yeah, sure. It's going to be our goal. Hey, final week of spring training games. It's here. Real baseball is forthcoming in uh, less than a week now. Major League Baseball players will be playing real meaningful games. And in just over a week from the day on which we are recording this episode, the 52nd of the show before the show, minor league baseball players will be doing the same. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 29th. So we're getting down to it finally. And then I can just start leading into shows with actual news rather than just telling you how close we're getting to opening day. (laughs) What a glorious time that'll be. And you feel like things actually happened yesterday. No, we could talk about real things. Yeah, not the uh, calendar turned as it always does. Well, and we do have some real things to talk about. So let's get started. Three strikes for the 52nd edition of the Minor League Baseball podcast, which, by the way, you can find on Twitter through the MILB account at MILB. We'll tweet out links to the podcast everywhere, but you can find our hub for the podcast at MILB.com slash podcast. There links to find the show on iTunes and RSS feeds. You can rate review and subscribe to the show before the show there. We've been rocketing up the baseball charts. So give us a, uh, a rating and a listen. All of our ratings and our reviews are very good. We just need more of them. So if you like us eh, go let us know because we're insecure and we need your love. <laughs> That's that's just always true, though. That's not just true on this podcast. It's not just a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You see us walking around. You're more than welcome to do the same thing. Leave us a review on the street. Enjoy us. <laughs> just shout to your friends. This is a five-star podcast. It's a and, great and show how... you guys do. Yeah. Yell at Sam. Uh, word gets spread in 2015 or 2016, whatever year it is. Now. Strike one, Sam. Minor league baseball transaction news. Fast and furious this week. Major League teams getting set for opening day, needing to trim rosters to their 25 that they will carry into opening day of the 2016 season. So with that, some big names who are still up in big league camp, no longer in big league camp. Among them, Trey Turner, Max Kepler, Gary Sanchez, A.J. Reed, uh, some of the big ones that stood out this week. Those are really the guys. And I don't think any huge surprises, but who stood out to you among the guys who found out that they would be starting in double A AA and triple A and some of the higher levels of the minors? Yeah, so – you, you brought up a good point that it's not exactly a huge surprise that uh, Trey Turner is going to be starting at AAA Syracuse, but it is a little bit of a disappointment, I would say. Uh, you know, we I did a the prospect projection series this this offseason, and it 
it looked in every projection you read about him, if you just look at his stats last year, you know, between double A and the Padre system, double A and the national system and triple A, and he got that taste of the majors last year. He looked like a guy who was major league ready, um, both with the bat and the wheels. He's, he's a competent shortstop. Um, the nationals are going to be, you know, locked. It seems like in a, in a NL East battle with the Mets. So they're going to need all the quality talent they can get. Um, you know, I, I was, as much as I could be, I was advocating for him to start the year in the majors. Uh, really, the only other option the Nationals had after the de- departure of Ian Desmond this offseason uh, was Danny Espinoza, who had a, a slightly above average year last year with the bat last year for the Nationals, but isn't exactly a guy who's going to um, break down the door. Uh, he certainly didn't beat out Turner this year in, in the spring, I would say. He had, he had some struggles of his own. Um, at least in Grapefruit League play, I think he was four for 30 um, with 11 strikeouts in 13 games. Meanwhile, Turner was nine for 36, which is a 250 average um, and had seven steals in 22 games. So looked like he was comfortable, you know, dash of salt for spring training results. You know, everybody understands that. But Turner looked like the guy we expected he would be this spring, um, not looking necessarily like a guy who needed extra time. Uh, this is purely a, a service time play. Uh, he had 45 days of uh, major league service time last year. That's how much he had accrued after being called up in August. Um, and by holding him back a little bit, this is kind of like Chris Bryant last year, except Chris Bryant didn't have any major league time. So the Cubs were able to hold him back for a couple weeks and therefore got an extra year of control with Turner. It's holding him back for those extra couple weeks in triple a plus 45 days to make up for the time he met. He made in the majors last year. Um, so they, they obviously still want to keep him for as long as they can get him. They acknowledge the talent he has. I think Dusty Baker called him Trey Burner this this spring. Um, so they know what they is have. Like, they, is that like Royce Harper? A Royce Harper? That's what that's what Dusty was calling Bryce Harper for like the first three weeks. Oh, no, yeah. No, I, I think this one was like legit. <laughs> oh, it was like an actual uh, nickname. Yeah. Calling him, calling him by a, oh, you know, that Travis Turner, he's really good. No, no, this was this was uh, Trey Burner, like a legitimate nickname because <laughs> it was of how like an actual was. thing he meant to do. Yeah, he. I don't think Dusty Baker was misspeaking. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt anyway. But um, yeah, so I I think they know what they had in him and they want to keep him for an extra year. And that's the economy, you know, economics of the game right now. And we've talked about that before. Um, but yeah, for a team that that's trying to eke out as many wins as they can at for the entire season hoping to beat out the Mets for that NLE spot. I, I was kind of disappointed to see that, but you know, like I said, that's, that's the way the game kind of operates now. Uh, the, the service time question is such a conversation that we've had to have over the last few seasons, but that is something that, and I know this is just a brief thing that we can touch on that can change because there will be upcoming negotiations about that in the next CBA. So that's a conversation that we've had a lot. Of course, you know, Chris Bryant was the the big question mark about that. Who was it two years ago? Two years ago it was the same thing. Uh, and I can't remember who it was now. I mean, last year we had that a little bit with Cray and Lindor for um, Super 2. I'm trying to think who that was from two years ago. It's not immediately coming to mind. I mean, Bryce Harper... Um, started in Triple A Syracuse two, uh, that that one year his rookie year I think it was 2012. Uh, that was my first year here and it was just, ha- 
how long are they really going to keep him down? And he was right. here before any of us had a chance to even potentially interview him with Syracuse. So this is something that the Nats kind of have a little bit of experience with. So just keep that in mind. It's something that could be changing going forward the same way the compensatory draft picks tied to free agents could be changing. Something we've heard over the last couple of seasons that could come up in the next CBA, which is Sam and I have discussed this many times. At some point, we're going to find the world's cheapest lawyer, but have, <laughs> we'll hire him for a few hours to sit down and just read through the CBA and explain it like we're five-year-olds because that's things that are way above my uh, intellect level. But uh, So keep that in mind going forward. Um, the, the Houston Astros, Sam, yesterday, it really looked like coming into camp, the first base job for the Astros was kind of a two-horse race between A.J. Reed and John Singleton. Neither one of those guys is going to leave camp with that job. Tyler White comes out of nowhere and very fittingly uh, really fits the bill of the story you wrote about him from the Grapefruit League. Tyler White, there's nothing that really stands out about Tyler White. He's not A.J. Reed and is just pure offensive prowess. He's not John Singleton in that he's hitting 500-foot homers, but he's a steady, good player, and he's going to be there on opening day. Uh, A.J. Reed still needs some more time seasoning in the minors. John Singleton, it seems like maybe we've seen his star finally go dark. Uh, what did you think about those moves yesterday? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I was excited to see Tyler White make that move up to the majors and the Astros give him the uh, the call and the nod um, in that competition. It, it was fun because the Astros said it was going to be an open competition and sometimes that's kind of a wink. Um, I, know, I know the Nationals had said that about the shortstop job. It was an open competition, but it always felt like Espinosa had the edge. This was an, a good, honest, open competition. Uh, and White has just, he's been a hitter everywhere he's gone in the minors so far. Uh, I think he looked his best last year. At Triple A, Fresno, you know, some of that went into the offensive parks that are in the PCL. But you know, he hit 362 there, had a 467 OBP, walked more than he struck out. I mean, this is just this guy. You would want that at any position that you can get, uh, because he's a first baseman. He doesn't necessarily have that power that of a Reed or a Singleton, like you mentioned. So you think his his star kind of burns a little less brightly because of that. But he just hits everywhere. He's gone, and he carried that to this spring, too. That was the interesting thing. You know, we do take those, you know, piles of salt with it, with spring training results, but when a guy shows up and plays exactly how we expected, then, especially a guy for like White who is trying to earn a job, then it becomes at least a little bit more interesting. He had a 348, 436, 543 slash line uh, this spring. Two homers, 10 RBIs, 19 games. Uh, struck out nine times, walked eight. So, again, he had that really good K to walk ratio that you like to see, um, you know, equal for a, for a hitter, a 980 OPS. He just continued to hit this spring. AJ Hinch liked liked him the more they saw him. They decided he can handle first base, uh, at least defensively. He can be a, a, a solid defensive first baseman. Um, he's not exactly the quickest guy in the world, but it's nice to see a guy earn a spot like that. And it, his story is very interesting as a guy who's taken in the 33rd round in 2013. He has built this himself. This is not a guy who was given any advantages. You know, if he, he's one of the – you're taken at that level in that round. Your first slip-up, your first major slip-up, you're out the door. I mean, it's it's a very cheap – they only spent $1,000 to sign him. That's a very, very cheap lottery ticket, and it's it's really cool to see the Astros kind of cashed in with White. Um, you know, whether he, that he carries that into Major League – regular season we'll we'll have to see you know once the major league pitchers get a book on him um know that he he's going to be patient take his walks maybe they attack him a little bit more throw him a little bit more off-speed stuff than he necessarily saw in the pcl 
but it, it's nice to see a guy earn a job like this. And with Reed, you know, the, he, he played at high A and double A last year, so it's not a big thing to send him to triple A, let him get his time there. I'm sure he'll put up monster numbers. He, he's a likely candidate to come up after Super 2. Um, he had really little, good numbers in the spring, too. Right, yeah, he, he was very solid, too. Um, if Without White, he, he probably wins that job. Um, but there is a little bit of service time thing going there with him as well. His him being a top 100 prospect, White ne- not necessarily being that guy. Uh, Reed, they want to get as much playing, you know, as much um, out of his contract, uh, out of his pre free agent contract as they can. Um, so they're they'll more than willing to send him to the PCL, get let him get that time. Um, but yeah, it'll be a lot of fun to see see Tyler White on the major league stage. That's for sure. The Astros that just continually shows you that system and the strength of that system and being able to develop talent. You kind of knew the type of player you were getting in AJ Reed. I don't think anybody expected this from Tyler White. Like you said, he's a lottery ticket signed for a thousand bucks, a 33rd round pick. And yet that system develops its talent so exceedingly well. It's really cool to see those stories come out of the Astros system. Uh, the the other part to this story, and he's not technically a prospect anymore, but John Singleton was the number two prospect in that organization coming out of 2013. And he has just not been able to figure it out at the major league level. And another guy who has a story that is really easy to root for. He's overcome alcohol abuse uh, in his career. He's been pretty open about that. And just a guy who you really want to see succeed. And at the minor league level, he does that everywhere he goes. But at the major league level, at spring training and in the, the major league experience he's gotten over the last couple of seasons, just has not been able to get it figured out at the plate. Yeah, I mean, part of that is that he does have kind of a big loopy swing, which yeah. brings that power, um, but is very well manipulated by major league pitching. I mean, once they figure that out, they know he's going to be swinging for the fences. Veteran guys will figure that out and and know how to kind of attack him. Um, and he hasn't quite figured that out yet in terms of how to counteract that. Um, you know, part of that, you don't want to lose the power. So you don't maybe don't want to bring in the loopy swing as much. But, uh, you know, he, he will get his time at Fresno. I, I think him and Reed will split DH slash first base um, duties there. They'll both get plenty of at-bats. And, you know, Singleton was at one point the top first base prospect in the game um you know he's not going to get many more chances right now but he this is another this is still another one so he he has to go and prove himself there strike two from some exciting news there uh some downer news for a couple of arms and pretty highly regarded ones in the miami marlins organization and the st louis cardinals organization let's start in st louis where luke weaver the cardinals third ranked prospect will be out at least a month due to a fractured left wrist that he suffered in a workout uh back on uh just a few days ago actually uh i think last week the injury was actually suffered and then the cardinals came out with that news this week he was expected to go to double a springfield uh instead and it is his non-pitching hand uh he'll still be in a cast for three to four weeks and he'll miss opening day last year uh missed opening day as well six weeks uh he spent out because of tightness in his right arm and again luke weaver a really highly regarded prospect he was that system's first round pick back in 2014 definitely not the way you want to see a season start for a kid like weaver it looked like he was primed to take a pretty big step in his development this year yeah i, I really liked weaver i think i wrote him up last year for a tool shed um made a jump now he is number three in a somewhat um, solid, you know, Cardinal system. Uh, we certainly know the way they develop arms. And so for him to be ranked number three in that system behind uh, Alex Reyes and Jack Flaherty is pretty good. Uh, Weaver, I was really excited to see what would happen with him outside the FSL because the FSL is a, a very pitcher friendly environment. 
uh, down there and he had a 1.62 ERA and 19 starts there. So I wanted to see, you know, what would happen when he moved to the Texas league, which can be a little bit more offensive friendly. Um, but he definitely has really, really good control. Only walked 19 and 105 and a third innings last year. Um, so that, that's the kind of stuff that plays everywhere. Uh, yeah, between him and Reyes, it's kind of unfortunate that two of the guys I was most excited to see in that system are starting on the shelf. Um, but that, you know, once we do get into the season, once we get into guys playing every day, I mean, this is, this is kind of life now there's injuries are going to happen and we're going to have to, you know, wait to have, um, some of our biggest questions of the 2016 season answered. And in the case of Weaver, it's going to be a couple of weeks. It looks like. The other story is Tyler Kolek, and this is a, a concerning one for the Marlins. He was the top prospect uh, taken in that year's draft out of high school, uh, was picked with the, you know, at the very top end of that draft class in 2014. He was a second overall selection, and the, the hype and the discussion of Tyler Kolek coming out of high school in Texas, oh, he's got a fastball, gets to 103. He's one of those big power arms from Texas that, you know, you don't really find. is a once-in-a-generation talent. It has not gone according to plan for Tyler Kolek and the uh, Miami Marlins so far. And Kolek will be examined by team doctors coming up on Monday uh, after suffering what appears to be an elbow injury. So it looks like he will miss opening day and maybe some extended time. But just the latest setback for a kid who really, really had some high hopes coming into pro ball and has not been able to capitalize on that so far. That being said, he's still extremely young. I mean, 20 years old, but... You wonder in this circumstance, a guy who throws that hard, that much torque, uh, he hurt his arm initially last Friday. He suffered some discomfort since then. Not sure if he's going to need surgery. And whenever you hear about an elbow, you always fear the worst. Yeah, especially with somebody that young, um, you know, especially with somebody throwing that hard, you wonder, you know, should he have been throwing that hard in high school? I mean, that's how you get noticed. You know, there, there's so much going on right now in the game of trying to debate um, how you develop arms in that kind of way. And uh, especially when there's millions of dollars being thrown around for guys who do throw hard, uh, you know, how much do you want to reel them in and let, let their, um, you know, potential not necessarily come all the way through when there's the potential they they could be taken as high as Kolek. But uh, yeah, this must be frightening for, for Marlins fans who, you know, this is still their top prospect in the system. Um, you don't want to see him on the shelf, you know, with, with all the, any kind of elbow problem, and especially now when Tommy John will put you out for 12 months. Um, not necessarily saying that's what's going to happen with him. I don't know if it's a UCL issue. Um, all we know is that it's, a, it's an elbow problem. Um, but once elbow gets thrown out at, at any point, um, it gets really, really scary. Uh, you know, if he were to miss a year, then, you know, he comes back next year, he's 21. So they, it kind of just delays it for a year. Um, but he was a guy who who had his own questions to answer this, this summer, um, specific, specifically in the control department, um, had far too many walks last year at Class A Greensboro and uh, was hoping to develop some other pitches. So the fact that he's missing out on any time is uh, is going to hurt his development just a little bit and uh, it's going to leave our questions unanswered. So hopefully it, it has a happy ending, maybe you know, some tests – resolve that he he'll be back in in short order but um you know like i said once once elbow gets thrown around then it's then it's a real worry yeah it's yeah, a it's, very disappointing uh start to this year for tyler kolek who such high hopes for him coming into that draft and in the start to his professional career and last year just seemed like a kid who at times was lost and didn't really know how to find his way 
the velocity is there, but the ability to beat guys really is not. Last year in 108 and two-thirds innings, uh, over 25 starts, for Class A Greensboro, 81 strikeouts, 61 walks. Certainly not the dominant strikeout numbers you expect from somebody with that arm, and definitely not the command issue or not the command um, ability that you hope for somebody who has that type of fastball, which grades as a 70 on MLB.com's 20 to 80 scouting scale. So, really, really tough break for Tyler Kolek, and we certainly hope. That it's something that won't require surgery, and uh, and we'll see how that progresses as he visits with uh, team doctors coming up next week. Strike three, Sam. Fire away. Yeah, so th- this one turns over to you, Tyler. Um, I, re- I really found this this story very interesting. Uh, you you wrote about a Kansas City Royals prospect, uh, not necessarily known from an area that is uh, that is baseball heavy. Um, over there in the boot in Europe. What, what can you tell us about Martin Gasparini? Yeah, yeah, Martin Gasparini was really cool to get a chance to talk to. Uh, comes over from Italy, does Martin Gasparini. And this is what I kind of love about how you can tell people don't really know how to handle his story quite yet. Martin Gasparini, if you look on various different websites, uh, his hometown is listed as being three different places. He's listed on <laughs> MILB.com is from Ruda, Italy, uh, on Baseball reference, I believe he's listed as being from a suburb of uh, Trieste, Italy, which is just a short drive away from Ruta, but is still not really in the same vicinity. Uh, And then on MLB.com, or actually in an MLB.com story written about him last month, it was listed as a third different town. So Martin Gasparini, we know vaguely where he's from in Italy. That's about it. Uh, No, and I think that just kind of goes to show that guys don't generally come with that background. And that happens sometimes with Latin American players who come from, you know, the lesser known areas. Uh, if you find somebody from Colombia or from Panama, it's not as heavily scouted. It's not as heavily known as some of the other baseball markets in the world, but Martin Gasparini just kind of forced his way into the pro baseball conversation. This is a kid who grew up, Basically just wanted to play baseball because it was something different than what everybody else he knew did playing soccer and volleyball, which are the two biggest things in Italy. Decided he wanted to try playing baseball after uh, getting some VHS highlight tapes of Yankees World Series wins from his dad, who travels a lot for work and brings back books and videos and stuff like that from his travels. Started watching baseball, got interested in it, went out in his backyard with a stick and a tennis ball and started teaching himself how to play baseball. Uh, A few years later, when he was 11 years old, he started playing in a youth league. A school friend of his played in a league that was close to his hometown, so he started doing that. Then he's all of a sudden on a little league team that's going to play in the European semifinals in Poland, being talked to by scouts there at 11, 12 years old. And really, you can tell the athleticism with him is so natural in playing the game of baseball. Last season spent uh, his entire year with uh, rookie-level Idaho Falls in the Pioneer League, slash 259-341-411, but was vastly better in the second half than he was in the first half. Largest bonus ever given to a European-born prospect. Just a really, really cool kid. And like I said in the story, if you didn't pick up on his accent, you wouldn't know he was Italian. He just comes across as every other minor leaguer just a kid who's excited to maybe get to lexington this year and play in full season ball for the first time really cool kid yeah so where, where did that knowledge of english kind of come from because this isn't you know it there's not italian translators right on every team right. so, so yeah Martin's go ahead. story is uh is really very worldly his father is italian his mother 
is of Jamaican descent, but she was born in the United Kingdom. So his mother taught him English. His father knows English, uh, but he kind of grew up speaking Italian and English, and he's actually doing a lot of work to learn Spanish now as well so he can communicate with his Latin American teammates, which is relatively easy i would imagine having a background in italian to learn spanish since they're so similar but um yeah just a very worldly kid he has a sister who actually is in college i believe over here in the states uh but he said you know with me and my sister growing up my parents always told us whatever you want to do in life go do it if it means you have to travel it means you have to be away from home go chase whatever dream you have and we'll support you for as long as we can while you're doing it and i don't think a whole lot of kids in a place like Italy or in a place like the Netherlands or in a place like Germany would necessarily have their parents say, you want to go do what, where, and do you want us to support that? And for Martin Gasparini, that's what his family's background was. And so they encouraged him to go into baseball. He actually left home uh, when he was, I believe 15 to go play at the Academy, the Italian baseball and softball Academy, which MLB has some ties to. He went and left, lived there trained, worked out, got to play on some youth national teams. And that's when he really started to come into the prospect world. And the Royals signed him when he was 16 years old uh, for, like I said, the largest prospect bonus ever given to a European-born player. So um, really cool. And it's not just the novelty of, oh, this kid's Italian and he plays baseball. He's a really, really good prospect as well. He's the number eight ranked prospect in the Royal system. And they have, I was talking with Ronnie Richardson, who's the director of minor league operations for the Royals. They have really, really high hopes for him it's kind of the same situation that we've discussed with prospects who come from other countries that aren't necessarily as baseball heavy, like Australia. We've talked about uh, those guys don't get as many innings. They don't get as many at bats growing up as the kids do who come out of Venezuela and the Dominican Republic and the United States and Mexico, and even the Asian countries, the guys who come over to the minor leagues from Taiwan or Japan or Korea are rare, but they're so often vastly more experienced than european born prospects or australian born prospects or the guys we've seen come out of you know south africa and places like that so that's really the name of the game right now for somebody like martin gasparini is you have to continue to get used to the strain the stress and the you know it's every minor leaguer's favorite word the grind of an everyday schedule in minor league baseball but to really show the aptitude to adapt the way he did at the end of last season in the second half with rookie level idaho falls I think he's a kid who's got a very, very bright future ahead of him. Final 22 games last year in the Pioneer League, slash 357, 448, 529, and really cut his strikeouts down a lot. So it's definitely a prospect that if I'm a Royals fan, I want to keep an eye on for the next couple of seasons because he's going to be fun to watch progress. Yeah, especially if you're an Italian Royals fan. I mean, Yeah, must, exactly. It must be pretty cool to have a guy who's like one of your own. And you know what's really cool, and I want to see if I can maybe find this again so I can read it uh, as I give this story out. But I was uh, just Googling things about Martin and his family and his father and whatever, and there was a – here it is. There was a Reddit thread from 2015, and again, you don't know how accurate anything like this is on Reddit, but it's on a Reddit Royals subreddit, and I can't imagine – then anybody's just going to make this story up. So this comes from a user, a Reddit user that I'm going to assume is in the military uh, in Italy, stationed in Italy right now. And the subject line to it was, so I met Martin Gasparini's dad yesterday while shopping at the commissary here in Italy. And then the explanation is, for those who don't know, it's said that Gasparini might be Europe's best prospect ever. 
I saw a man walking into the store with a Royals jacket on, and I did my usual, hey, nice jacket. He seemed a bit surprised and asked me if I was from the area. I told him that I was and asked where he was from. He told me that he's only been to KC once, but that his son is playing in rookie ball for the Royals. I was interested, so I asked for his son's name. When he said Martin Gasparini, I couldn't believe it. Small world. So obviously the Gasparini family is way behind him and uh, sporting the Royals threads in Italy. But I thought that was just the coolest, most random thing. Yeah, that, that's something that now everybody can kind of look out for. If you ever see a Kansas City hat <laughs> in anywhere in Italy or even you Europe. You probably know. Yeah, it's probably the Gasparini. It's probably a Gasparini, a member of the Gasparini clan at some point. So keep an eye on Martin Gasparini. I would imagine he's probably headed to Lexington to start this year. Uh, and if he does, he's still going to be very, very young. Last season, he was just 18 uh, playing in the Pioneer League, which – you know, Pioneer League is an advanced level of competition for an 18-year-old. He's not going to turn 19 until May 24th. So if he heads to Lexington out of the gate to get his first taste of, of uh, full season ball, he'll be 18 years old. So another fun prospect to write about. Yeah, there you go. So with that, episode number 52 of the show before the show podcast, wrapping up three strikes for this edition. Coming up on the 52nd edition of the show before the show, the number two prospect in the Philadelphia Phillies organization is right-handed pitcher Jake Thompson, who knows what it's like to have to uh, get used to a new organization. He's done it a lot over the last couple of years, but now set to go on what is sure to be a very talented Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs roster or cheesesteaks. Jake Thompson joins the show coming up from spring training next. Somebody pointed out to us recently that we had yet to have a Philadelphia Phillies prospect on the show before the show podcast as we near our second opening day of this uh, of this little venture. So Jake Thompson gets to uh, we bestow those honors on you, Jake. You have the pressure of the entire organization on you. How does that make you feel? <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome in, man. It's good to talk to you. Uh, the last couple of years for you have been all over the place uh you were started with the the tigers you go to the rangers you kind of go home as a texas guy now you're in the philly system and all of a sudden you're one step away from the big leagues most likely this season and you're in a very very good spot for your career and for your organization what has this felt like this year coming into you know your third club very highly regarded prospect but you've had to adjust to a whole lot of different stuff and now you're going to be surrounded by a lot of talented guys and and really have an opportunity to start getting that franchise back on the right track yeah i mean as far as moving around a little bit um i've gotten to see what the what the industry is all about uh made a few different stops and uh i think i found a home here with uh Philadelphia but um yeah you know it's an exciting time to to be a part of to be a part of the Phillies I mean um it's evident they're trying to rebuild they're trying to um create a young winning culture and um you know just as far as um you know having the opportunity um to hopefully make an impact on that um hopefully sooner rather than later um is a whole lot better circumstance than you get with some of those other clubs that are um you know, real, real veteran heavy and, um, really, um, you know, just have a, have a lot of older players. So the younger guys kind of get pushed to the side a little bit. Yeah. And, and Jake, what, what has it kind of been like in spring training this year? I know you were with the major league club for a little bit as a non-roster invite. Um, I got to head down there and I saw you were in the same area as Appel and there's a couple of you guys who were, were there in your first spring training with the Phillies. Um, a, a lot of young guys, like you said, 
Um, what what was it like just getting to meet so many new faces like that, especially guys who are who are going to be with you probably coming up in in this kind of rebuild era with the Phillies? Oh, I mean, it, it's awesome. Um, just uh, the chemistry that we've already built, and then um, some of the the chemistry we had at the the end of last year at the Double A level. Um, it, it's very evident. It's it's carrying over. You can see kind of the group of guys that are coming up together and how much how much we love playing together and, um, you know, just being around each other, which is a big deal because we're, we're around each other a whole lot more than I guess the average fan would, would, uh, would think. Um, so it, it's, it, it was a really cool experience um, as far as being, being with a bunch of younger guys, a bunch of my, my teammates. Um, and then just being around some of those, some of those veterans, guys like Charlie Morton guys like Hellickson on the pitching side. I mean, those guys have, have been there and done it. Just being around them and uh, soaking up all the knowledge that they have is, is a great experience for us. And, and you mentioned that, that team last year with Redding. Um, you know, you came over from, with the trade, and I mentioned Williams before, and you know, J.P. Crawford's already there, and Andrew Knapp was really coming along there in the second half. Uh, what was that team like? You know, how did you guys kind of build with each other? I know a lot of it was just spending time with each other. Um, and how much are you looking forward to building what what should be a very very talented team in Lehigh Valley this year? I mean that that team. Whenever I got there last year, um, uh, I mean that that was a magical team. That whatever little run or stretch that we had going right when I got there was uh, like nothing I've ever seen before. Um, just I've I've never seen everybody in the clubhouse be that excited to get to the park every day. Um, and as far as carrying it over into into this season just we we gotta just play with that same chemistry you know everybody gets along with everybody uh just getting out and um pretty much we just got to go out and perform to be honest jake let's talk a little bit about what it means to be able to come up with guys together because you now have that opportunity with the guys who are going to be around you and, and getting along and, and having good chemistry in the clubhouse is great on one hand. On the other hand, it seems like it's even more beneficial that you guys can all kind of bounce things off each other. I mean, if you see something with what Mark Capella is doing, you can ask him about that, vice versa. How much does that help knowing that you have guys that you can lean on who are in a, a similar circumstance to you, um, you know, having seen what it's going to take to get to the big leagues and that you guys can all kind of walk that road in tandem? Oh, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Um, what I, what I think is really cool is, um, you know, cause we're, we're all, we're all throwing on different days. Uh, the days that we aren't throwing bullpens, we're watching the other guy's bullpen or one day I'm watching Zach's one day I'm, I'm watching Mark's, um, just because, you know, we're all in a similar spot and we're not necessarily the same pitcher, but as far as the learning and, uh, kind of the development side of it, you know, we can get out there and soak up things that, that Zach's working on or that Mark's working on or whenever I'm throwing, they can see things that I'm doing that they can, they can improve on. So as far as that, um, you know, we're, we all, we're all talented. It's just making sure we continue to develop and continue to learn. And, and Jake, kind of this spring, this off season, you know, your first off season with the Phillies, um, what kind of has been your focus going into this year? You know, you're likely to, to be at Lehigh Valley, uh, you know, to start out the year, that's that's only one step away from the majors. Um, I think a lot of Phillies fans would love to see you out there this year. What what are you kind of working on developmentally, at least on the personal side? Um, any pitches, anything like that uh, to, you know, kind of make that next step to the majors? 
for me, it's um, just ironing out my uh, my mechanics just a little bit more. I want to be able to, instead of repeating my mechanics 80, 80 times out of 100, I want to be able to repeat it 90 times out of 100. Um, so I'm still working on that a little bit. And just fastball command, I mean, that's the that's the biggest thing up there in the big leagues is, you know, 3-1, you got to throw a fastball, not only throwing a strike with it, but throwing it exactly where you want it. Um, so me and the pitching coordinators have been, have been working on that pretty much all spring. And uh, I kind of want to just go back to last year quick, just for another second, just because your numbers between Frisco and Reading were just so different, um, at least on the ERA side and even just the batted ball side, you went from a 4.72 ERA in Frisco to a 1.80 in Reading. Um, You know, what, what was behind that change? Was it just the change in atmosphere or was it something different you were doing, just a different atmosphere? Uh, you know, what, what, how did you kind of grow as a pitcher last year and carry that into this offseason? Whenever I was with Texas, I was really trying to uh, accomplish the things that Texas wanted me to do as a, as a pitcher. And I don't know that it completely meshed with, with me, with, with my strengths as a pitcher. So I think there was a little bit of um, – um, learning to do there and I you know I took my lumps I had good outings but I also had some bad ones and whenever I whenever I got traded over to to Philly I uh, I kind of just went back to what I had done my entire career when I was with the the Tigers you know pitching off my two seam not being afraid to show my slider early in counts uh using my change up and uh I, I just I think um me getting back to the way I, I I like to pitch, the way I know how to pitch, I think it was uh, really beneficial for me. Jake, when you get to this stage of a minor league career, it seems like the, the finishing stages are so complex and so intricate compared to, you know, when you get into pro ball, it's all about kind of figuring out the routine and what you have that's going to be successful and all that. But when you get to the upper levels, and you touched on a little bit a minute ago, it's all about figuring out where you want to mix in certain pitches and certain counts um, and, and how you approach hitters, how you can pitch backwards, all that kind of stuff. For somebody who has – so many assets that are already above major league average. Did you kind of realize coming into pro ball what all it would take on the mental side once you got to these levels of the minors to really polish yourself off and make yourself into that major league ready guy? Because it seems like the average fan probably doesn't know just how much really goes into that once you get to double A AA and triple A in those stages. Right. I mean, this is definitely the hardest part. It It's what separates the guys that have, great arms but are lacking in certain areas from the guys that really stand out that are that are the total package the guys that you know really have a high iq on the mound and and know what they're doing at all times um for for me it's it's um you know just being able to to command everything and i i believe that um i have the ability to to kind of think on my feet pretty well out there on the mound but um, being able to command everything and um, just execute every pitch. I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to, to know what the right pitch is to throw, but you have to be able to execute it. And if you can't execute it, these older hitters and some of the guys that have been in the big leagues and are back down in AAA, you know, they're, they're not dumb. I mean, you, you have to, you have to execute. They're not big, big chase hitters. So you really, really need to execute your pitches. And and to kind of wrap this up a little bit, um, 
you know, we talked so much about that that young core of Phillies prospects that's going through right now, um, that's coming up with you. How much do you guys kind of talk as a group of the opportunity that you guys have in front of you, um, given what Philly is doing right now and, and the way they are kind of paving the road for that young core to kind of get to the majors this year and potentially succeed this year? Um, how much do you guys talk about playing in the majors together as a group? I think it's one of those things where we, we don't necessarily talk about it. We we know um, that it's definitely a possibility. But um, right now we're just going out and we're just – Honestly, we just love playing with each other. You know, it's not very often you get to see this many guys at the same age, at the same point in their career, go out and, and play together every day. And we're just, we're really soaking that in and enjoying it. All right, Jake, final thing for you. And this is a big, big question. Uh, you are going to be a member of obviously a very talented team. You're going to be playing in a great ballpark, whatever. But the question everybody wants to know the answer to on June 10th, you guys will cease to be the Iron Pigs, and you'll be the Lehigh Valley cheesesteaks for a night. Now, you're a Texas guy, but you're in the Philly system now, and so the, the big debate raging around this, are you team wit or team wit out as it pertains to onions on your cheesesteak hat slash uniform? Ooh, I, I'm not sure what the technical Philly way is, but I'm a big <laughs> onion guy. So Absolutely. The that's onion that's guy. the correct answer. Fantastic okay. answer. Good. Good. Okay. This is the first actual <laughs> vote we've gotten on Team Wit and Team Wit Out, and you're a Team Wit guy. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I think the onions kind of sets it apart. Good. That is that is all we needed to know. That's the... Yeah, I think you just won yourself a lot more fans <laughs> in Philly. With that if, you were running, if you were running for president, I'm pretty sure you just won the entire Philly area vote based on the fact that you're Team Wit. Nice work, Jake. <laughs> Thank you. Jake Dawson is the number two prospect in the Philadelphia Phillies system via MLB Pipeline. You can follow Jake Thompson on Twitter. He's at jtomp 15 Jake, we cannot thank you enough for the time, and best of luck getting to Lehigh Valley and getting the season started the right way. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Get down to the final hours before ballparks throw open their gates and welcome in all hundreds of thousands and millions of you uh, crazy people listening to this podcast. And the man who will tell you the best places to hit all season long is Benjamin Hill, who joins the show uh, for this week's final edition before the regular season is upon us. Hi, Ben. Hi, Tyler. Good to be here. Hi, hey. Sam. I'm sitting right next to you. I know, yeah. I've been around you all day, but it's good, it's good to have you here, man. Yeah, it's good to be here. And Tyler, I like how you just implied that millions of people are listening to this podcast, which well, I always you know, assume, but I haven't checked the stats. When I did um, I did those, those random broadcasts of baseball in Asia for the Premier 12 tournament in the fall, and I kept telling people, like, there's a potential audience of billions that could be watching these because they were, like, broadcasts on YouTube. In reality, it was probably, like, my dad – and like three other people that I know, but potentially millions of people could be tuned into this podcast. You're right. So to the millions out there, to the assembled millions, uh, hello and welcome, and thank you for being here with us. <laughs> so, Ben, we are uh, sort of in the lull before opening day now, promotions-wise. We had crazy stuff last week come out. Uh, the Lehigh Valley cheesesteaks were the, the big story of the week. But this week, it seems like things have died down, and I think we're kind of now in that stretch where teams have put everything out there, and now it's just, okay, now we actually have to get it all ready. Because it's easy to, you know, somebody who's worked in a front office, it's very easy to come up with ideas and put them out on paper and blast out a press release and stuff. And then you realize, like, oh, man, we actually have to get to work on making all this stuff happen. So are we kind of in that stretch now? 
Absolutely. I mean, it's like you say, when the average team's dealing with 70 home games, and as you know, in minor league baseball, that's 70 evenings or afternoons of entertainment and uh, so many things to be taken care of to get ready for the season for opening day, first and foremost, but for the entire season. Um, I think that's where everyone's focus is. It's where my focus has been. You know, just yesterday I finished going through all the team promo schedules to make sure I had the good ones entered in my, you know, in my spreadsheets. And I put together my own road trip itineraries, but don't have those completely cut and dried, you know, to where I'm ready to um, announce that. You know, I finished up some of my last season road trip stuff, uh, just random odds and ends. And uh, I think that's where I am too. You know, usually we come on, I come on the show and there's always like, oh, this happened or this happened. And now it's just kind of like, yeah, everyone just getting their, their ducks in a row, so to speak, the calm before the storm, whatever cliche you want to use. And, and that's where we are. And uh, well, now that we are kind of wrapping up the off season, you have a story coming out this week too, just doing exactly that, wrapping up the off season. Uh, just kind of take people who, you know, the millions out there who are listening um, maybe some of those who haven't listened so far, what do you think were the highlights of this 2015, 2016 off season? Um, it depends on, you know, what you consider a highlight. Um, I wasn't necessarily, I, I am focusing on highlights because you want to accentuate the positive, but it's just also just the big thing that's, that's happened. I feel like I've written enough and we've talked enough about the Hartford yard goats and the Columbia fireflies, but that's the biggest story because those are two new teams and two new stadiums. So I had to touch on that a little bit. Um, I'd say the biggest uh, story in the world of ballpark improvements had to be Frisco Rough Riders and the Lazy River, you know, which we've talked about. And I'd say in the promotions that were announced this offseason, it was the Fresno Tacos saying they would or the Fresno Grizzlies saying they would be the Fresno Tacos for each and every Tuesday home game. And then, you know, from a similar realm, the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs changing their name to the Cheesesteaks for one night. I'd say those are the biggest uh, news on that front. And it's kind of ironic because in previous years, sometimes the food itself was the biggest stories. I think teams were maybe five, four or five years ago were much bigger on the attention getting, you know, extreme or grotesque or whatever word you want to use, concession items. I've seen a lot less of that, but yet food has become more of a focus, more in teams doing their identities with it, like like the tacos and the iron, the tacos and the cheesesteaks. Um so just trying to recap all that stuff and uh, put it in a nice little package. That story will be out on Friday on MILB.com, and uh, I included many, many hyperlinks within the text. So if you're reading about something, you can uh, read about more and more and more. And that's what I like about what I do and what the minor leagues are is it's a rabbit hole. If it's a particular hole you want to dive into, there's, there's always more to learn. Just want to point out the Fresno Grizzlies going to Taco Tuesdays has inspired me to do Taco Tuesdays in my own life, in which I just eat tacos on Tuesday with regularity, um, which is a smart move, and I recommend everybody does it, especially if you're in a good taco market. Um, are, are, wait, wait, are you? Love it. Yeah, is that uh, yeah. Taco? oh yeah, we get amazing Mexican food here. Yeah, when you guys come out here at some point. Uh, which I've been advocating for years. And by advocating, I mean just saying like out loud to myself, they should have the winter meetings here so I can hang out with all of you guys on my soil rather than when I go out there. Then I can show you all the good places here. But yeah, we'll go to uh, El Taco de Mexico, which is like 10 minutes from here and is the most amazing tacos I've ever had. All right. I'd love to, Tyler. But okay. I, think, I think that's usually something you say to yourself while eating tacos alone, but and not something that, uh, <laughs> that that we're necessarily aware of. You don't know how often I sit saying things out loud to myself eating tacos alone. 
That sounds like a meme or a GIF yeah, or something uh, waiting to happen. That's a hashtag. Don't yeah. talk to me or my son, whatever the new weird, strange meme that I don't understand on social media is this week. Um, ben, you were telling us a little bit ago uh, as we got into this segment, something you had just kind of stumbled across over the last few days. This is um, – a standard minor league season and that there are new ballparks popping up. You mentioned Columbia, the Fireflies are going to be in a new ballpark, new South Atlantic league team. The Hartford yard goats will be in a new ballpark, not as of opening day in April, but they'll be in a new ballpark uh, when their ballpark is finished up in Hartford. Um, the formerly the new Britain rock cats, uh, but 2017 is stacking up as a very unique year. Explain to us why. Yeah. When I was putting together the aforementioned off season recap article, I realized that when I've done that sort of article in previous years, I mentioned the groundbreakings that had taken place for a ballpark that would most likely open the next season. Um, so last year I was covering, you know, Columbia and Hartford saying, you know, groundbreaking has taken place, construction's underway, and expect that the following season. And I realized in writing this year's article, wait a second, there haven't been any groundbreakings. There are not any stadiums in minor league baseball slated to open in 2017. Uh, I suppose that could change, but uh, that's in a very accelerated time frame, and it seems kind of unlikely. And so I started thinking to myself, when was the last time that no new minor league ballparks opened in anywhere in the minor league landscape? Uh, what, when was the last season that happened? And I was thinking, you know, you don't probably don't have to go back too far. And at first I was like, yeah, 2011, that's it, 2011. And, you know, I put it out there on Twitter, and someone was like, ah, oh, what about Omaha? And I'm like, oh, yeah. And then 2010, I was like, ah, that's Tulsa. Among others, 2009, Reno, and there were some others, 2008, I think oh, it was Northwest Arkansas, 2007, Lehigh Valley, et cetera, et cetera. And we just kept going backwards and backwards and getting help from people on Twitter. And then I found a list online uh, through the website Baseball Pilgrimages, which had all active stadiums and their opening dates. And I just kept going back and back. And then finally, I was like, 1986. I think that was the last time we've had a season with no new ballparks. And then via the magic of Twitter, I was informed that the uh, Shreveport's Texas League team had the, the fairgrounds open that year. There was a new Texas League stadium in 1986, and that's not even a Texas League market anymore, uh, nor was Shreveport ever in Texas. But that's another story. Um, so now I was like, well, what about 85? Like, no, that's Richmond's the Diamond. 84, uh, that's Potomac Nationals, the Fitz, uh, Fitzner Stadium. 83, Cashman Field in Las Vegas. 82, uh, Pullman Field in Beloit. And now, maybe, 1981? Do we have to go back that far? And then there might have been a stadium open in 1981 that's just not in use anymore, but we're that's not the finding tough thing. it right now. Because we don't know, you know, I mean, we're pretty well versed on the history of the minor leagues, but yes, there is a very large chance that there was a city that had a ballpark that opened in 1981 that hasn't been in the minors for a while. Let's say Calgary had a ballpark that opened in 1981. We wouldn't remember that necessarily. So we're going to outsource this. Uh, if you, if anybody remembers ballparks, let's put it out there from 1975 to 1981. If you remember a ballpark that opened in that year and hosted an affiliated minor league club, tweeted at ben he's at ben's biz on twitter you can copy me and sam in on that as well i'm at tyler mon sam is at sam dykstra milb and let's see how far back we can get this because this is a very rare thing i mean in the especially in the 90s and into the 2000s we experienced the the ballpark boom in the minors but to think that every single year even going back to the early 80s to the jimmy carter administration basically we were uh opening welcoming in a new ballpark uh is so crazy that 2017 could be the first time in over 35 years we haven't seen that 
It is. It, it amazed me. I mean, I knew we're all aware that there has been a ballpark boom, as you mentioned, um, and that the 90s into the early 2000s in particular was a particularly fertile time for that. But it blew me away that we're going back to at least 1981 now. Um, I believe that's in both of your entire lifetimes. Um, yes. Unfortunately, yes, not. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, not mine. I'm, I'm a little older, but we're getting very close to my lifetime as well. And uh, very interesting. So that's a very nerdy question, but we know there's nerds who listen to the show. Absolutely. It's not a uh, put down. It's, it's our target market. Right? Yeah, it is it our is. target market. It's a show going. by nerds for nerds. So. <laughs> right, right. And there's millions of them out there. So, But, but just so out. we get this straight, though, there, there's still the possibility that there's an FSL club that could go into this new Nationals Astros combined spring training facility next year, right? Uh, this isn't set in stone that no team is going to be. It's not set in stone. I mean, that's pure speculation that 2017 could see an FSL team in West Palm Beach. We've mentioned that before, but that's that's pure speculation. And uh, even that would get an asterisk because it's a stadium that's not built first and foremost sure. for a minor league team, um, but it would potentially host one. Um, that, that That's the only even remote possibility I see right now for a minor league team playing in a new ballpark in 2017. Um, unless there's some market out there that is gets on the most accelerated timeline I think we've ever seen and somehow avoids the Hartford this season uh, pitfalls of opening late, which happened to Biloxi in 2015 and El Paso in 2014. Ugh, we go too deep here, but um, it's a crazy thing. There's been a lot of minor league ballparks in the last three and a half decades. So if you find one 81 or earlier that you remember opening, we'll continue piecing this puzzle together because this is these are some of the best baseball things. The stuff that, you know, comes up just organically like the you know, the guy who was uncovering the the forgotten no hitters, the stuff that you sort of stumble upon. And then all of a sudden you think like, oh, man, I got to find an answer to this. Those are some of the best things. So, again, tweet them at Ben's Biz. If you remember a and these are new ballparks, if you remember a new ballpark that opened 1981 or earlier with an affiliated minor league club, tweeted at Ben and me and at Sam, and we'll continue diving into this nerdy little project that uh, sounds like a ton of fun, actually. Um, ben, a, a final note that I wanted you to embrace and digest and discuss because I came across a story a little bit ago, and it is hilarious to me, uh, especially because of this lead line, which comes from writer Julie Bergman of TheDay.com. Quote, goats and submarines may seem like an improbable pairing, but in Connecticut, the two are in the making of a new partnership. Here's the story. The Hartford Yard Goats, AA affiliate of the Colorado Rockies, and the USS Hartford, which is a Los Angeles-class attack submarine, have partnered up to uh, a very interesting uh, little friendship. This is really the money quote from this story. Quote, once top enlisted submariners on the boat achieve certain levels of competence, they get to wear a specially designed yard goats cap around the boat, according to U.S. Senator Chris Murphy, who recently spent an overnight aboard the submarine. Have you ever heard of anything like this? Uh, not quite like that. I mean, Connecticut... Um, Norwich, Connecticut used to host a double A team in the Eastern League, you know, called yeah. the Fenders. And there was a lot of uh, submarine imagery. And even now the Connecticut Tigers play in that ballpark, but they still are sponsored by uh, local submarine manufacturers. Um, and that's still a big area for uh, that kind of work and that kind of industry. And actually, when I visited Norwich, I threw T-shirts out of a uh, model submarine that uh, appears on the field before games. So I have come across submarines in baseball. I've never come across such a partnership as the Yard Goats have with this one. Um, but it's a pretty cool thing. And um, 
I see that Mike Abramson, the uh, Yard Goats assistant GM, is is involved with that, and he's the guy who does uh, the team's Twitter as well. So I'm sure he'll do a lot of sub tweeting. I was going to say they, they must <laughs> love the opportunity to just tweet pictures of these guys' hats all over the world, um, given what what their social media presence is right now with Hartford. Yeah, they'll they'll have a lot of fun with it for sure, and uh, just hopefully the team doesn't go underwater. Uh, I actually haven't seen any of the uh, the the hats yet, and I tweeted at the yard goes and said I'm going to need a picture of one of these hats. They didn't respond to that tweet; they favorited it. But then later they tweeted out their photoshopped blank white cap with "Make America Graze Again" on the front <laughs> of it, which I would also purchase because I think that'd be terrific. Yeah, for sure. But I, I would imagine the submarine cap would be navy blue. <laughs> He's Benjamin Hill. You can find him on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz there, and the blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. Team Songs episode coming up, leading you into opening day, and also Ben will have his itineraries for 2016 road trips coming up soon, too, which has got to be both the most exciting time of the year and also kind of the craziest getting those itineraries nailed down, but uh, almost done. Yeah, they're almost done. They're basically done. I, I just got to officialize them, if officialize is a word. And uh, the thing about this season is that now I see a clear path to visiting every stadium, and 2017's itineraries to look ahead will be 100% based on finishing it up. And I think by the end of 2017, I will have visited every minor league stadium, at which point I can, I don't know. We'll retire you about. to the Raptors. Yeah, yeah retire my number. <laughs> we'll, just, can... we'll just dangle Ben from the Raptors at the offices. Yeah, please do that. Uh, and it gives me an occasion to feel good about myself, I suppose. And hey, what's wrong with that? Yeah, exactly. And it'll be a good year to do it since no new ballpark will be opening. Then you can you can <laughs> calm down for a year and then 2018 there will probably be like 10 new parks you'll have to visit. Yeah, uh, let's not look too far ahead. Because you know what else <laughs> happens in 2018? I don't know, the Mayans again? Do they have anything? <laughs> I turned 40. What? Oh, no. You do not. Yes, let's, I do. Well, Are you serious? Yep. Wow. Ben, just for the record, to anybody who hasn't met Ben or seen Ben on social media, he looks five years younger than I do because I already look like I'm in my 50s and I'm 30, but I've looked like I was this old since I was 19. So I I don't believe you, Ben. I was born in 1978. Look it up. When we go into 2018, I just uh, I will not believe you with that. I won't believe it myself, but the birth certificate says otherwise. November 6, 1978. Well, we now do? we know. So start prepping your uh, your 40th birthday presents for Ben. And, uh, and we'll talk about that at some point down the road. Uh, we will. I, I look forward to it greatly. <laughs> ben, we'll do it again next week. All right, cool. Episode number 52 of the Show Before the Show podcast coming to a close. Final one before a week that involves real baseball for the regular season and uh, the chase for 2016 minor league glory all over the place. Uh, you can find us on the site, MILB.com slash podcast, and you can also find all of us on Twitter. Again, Jake Thompson of Philadelphia Phillies. Big thanks to Jake. He's on Twitter. He's at jtomp, T-H-O-M-P. 15 benjamin hills at ben's biz sam dykstra is at sam dykstra m-i-l-b and i am at tyler mon you can get in touch with the podcast you can send us your questions thoughts comments concerns you can send us uh good offers on outdoor patio uh coverings which we get with regularity that's yep. podcast at milb.com that's it next week sam we get to tease mill tv broadcast i know right it was yeah. always our thing it's always our thing in season we get to start doing it again yeah so oh, it's exciting so that's what this will be in this space now. 
because I know that's exactly what you think of every time we get to the every time party. we get to this. I'm like, what games do we have coming up? Nothing yeah. for six months. No. Um, so next week we'll be able to tease that. Fine. Right now we're teasing the teasing. Well, as well it it's a it's a tease of the tease. It's a tease. It's the it's like those trailers for trailers that exist now. <laughs> we're gonna in, drop uh, this world. during the middle of the Super Bowl or something like that. It'll something like that. Yeah. Um, no, but next next week will be fun. We're gonna have uh, it's gonna be a prospect primer podcast. Yes, we will get you set to go for your organization and all twenty nine others that you care about. Heading into the 2016 season, we'll take a tour around the world of minor league baseball with our illustrious staff of MILB.com writers. Uh, also, in case uh, anybody out there is listening and wants to uh, sign us up as a podcast, if you work for MLB The Show 16, I am probably buying your product later today. So just a thought, if you are somebody who's behind that. I don't think Lucas Giolito's dad is behind the show, but, you know, if you're one of the show guys, Brett Phillips is out there getting a free PlayStation 4 in a game. Why not us? <laughs> our, our name is literally the show before the show. We are, we are the pregame. To this video game. I mean, I hello. I thought of this. Yeah. Okay. So, just saying. This, yeah. is, a, this is definitely a goal for 2017, <laughs> is to get, like, our voice. The just, show before the show, brought to yeah. you by MLB The Show. Oh, that right. is phenomenal. Not not only that, just to get our voice in the video game. Yeah. Like, while you're sitting there working your way through the thing. You can do we'll the just... minor league baseball stuff. Yeah, yeah, I really like the Royals' number seven prospect. Yada, I'm big yada, yada. on this kid, Martin Gasparini, and let me tell you why. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, like so this. that that's that's our personal goal now. As soon as we get done with this episode, I'm firing off emails to the people <laughs> at San Diego Studios that make these games. Uh, but no, seriously, thanks for tuning in to another edition of The Show Before the Show. Not yet, brought to you by MLB The Show. Uh, and until next week... We have uh, real-life baseball coming up on the way, and we'll get you set to go for opening day with all of our prospect primer reflection and uh, some predictions and stuff for the coming season. We'll also talk to you about under-the-radar prospects. That's been a big story for us the last couple of seasons on opening day uh, where everybody wants to know, who am I looking for to have a breakout year who maybe I don't know about yet? We'll talk about that next week as well. So all kinds of good stuff coming up on the show before the show's 53rd episode, which will lead you right into opening day. And until then... Enjoy the final week of spring training. We'll talk to you next week. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.